Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, where each week you will hear the real-world experiences, life lessons, and guided principles that every highly driven man needs to master their health, productivity, and relationships by sharing conversations with the world's most successful people in fitness, nutrition, supplementation, and mindset. Meet your host, Benjamin Brown. He is a fitness and nutrition expert, consultant to Fortune 500 companies and world championship sports teams, a husband and father of three, and has been helping men transform their physiques, optimize their energy, and own their fatherly mission since 2005. Thank you for joining us today, and without further ado, let's jump right in. What's up, guys? Welcome back to this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. On the show today, we are doing a Q&A in my Facebook community. Uh, we've got a few good questions to run through here. We'll keep it short and sweet, uh, but I appreciate you guys taking the time to tune in. And so with that said, the questions that I'm going to be going through today are, first and foremost, is diet soda bad for you? We are going to talk about tips to stay on track during vacation. And then we're going to talk about intermittent fasting specifically for women, but I'll talk about intermittent fasting in general. Okay. So I think it's appropriate just to start with the diet. Is diet soda bad for you? I think that's a sort of a common misconception. The reality is like, look, if you're going to look into the research, what the research suggests is that there's no issues with diet soda. Uh, you know, we hear about artificial sweeteners being bad for bad for us in a myriad of ways, whether it's you know digestive health or blood sugar regulation or uh, you know brain cancer and all these kinds of um, you know relatively ludicrous assertions. And the reality is like, look, I, you know, it's I can't really say. I mean, I don't go through uh, the compendium of research to really care that much. I mean, if you're drinking, you know, cartons and cases of diet soda and you feel awful and you're unhealthy and you're not exercising and it, you know, the rest of your diet is garbage, then you probably have other issues than just the diet soda itself. But hey, if you're like dieting down and you're trying to manage your calorie intake and you're trying to minimize sugar and, you know, it's one of those periods in the afternoon where you're like craving something sweet, but it's not time to eat and you feel like having a diet Coke can sort of get you over that hump, then I'm inclined to say absolutely go for the diet soda. Unless, of course, that soda in and of itself makes you feel like crap. So for me personally, if I drink uh, multiple diet sodas, like I went to the movie theaters with my son several weeks ago and had like a big, large diet Coke, and I realized that uh, I started to feel really, really anxious in the in the hours after drinking it. So I think for me, you know, consuming a large quantity of aspartame or um, asulfame or whatever the artificial sweeteners they use in, in the respective soda probably isn't the best thing. Do I think it's going to give me brain cancer for having a couple sodas a month? No, I definitely don't. So if you can use it to your advantage, which I strongly recommend people do, especially if you're in a dieting phase or you're trying to manage your calories and or it ends up being a buffer for you to help you manage your calories later in the day, then why not? But if 
possibly it's a trigger for you that the intense sweetness of the artificial sweetener contributes to you only wanting and craving more sweets, which could lead to more sugar and actually calorically dense foods, then for you, it might not be a good idea. So that's my input on artificial sweeteners from a science standpoint. I don't, th I think it's unfounded to suggest that there's any harm. Um, but again, that's just beyond the, the scope of kind of this discussion. So with that said, uh, the next topic we're talking about is tips to stay on track during vacation. And this is kind of can be robust. So I want to keep it concise. And I think the real question, there's a there's a, just a number of questions that you need to ask yourself about what you want. Like, what do you want from your vacation? What do you, what are your goals? What are your kind of health and fitness and physique related goals? And how is this vacation going to help or hinder those goals long-term? I think a lot of us, when we think about a vacation, it ends up being sort of this all or nothing type of, you know, like when we go on vacation, rules cease to exist. Calories don't matter. It's like when you're in Vegas, it's just like, there's no time, <laughs> you know, you're, you're drinking at nine in the morning and at least so I've heard. Right. But, uh, and it's like the airport, like you just show up and all of a sudden you're in the airport. So you can kind of eat and drink whatever and whenever you want. So you kind of have to determine like, what are you looking to get out of it? What are your goals and how is the vacation going to help or hinder those goals? Obviously, you want to have a good time. And so, you know, with that said, it's like, what are your plans? You know, how do you want to feel when the vacation is over? So I think you ask yourself, imagine stepping back into your house after a weekend or a week of vacation. How do you want to feel? How do you want to feel with respect to your digestive function, with your energy levels, with your mood, with your long-term health and fitness goals. And you can kind of work backwards from there to determine how structured or how liberal uh, you want to go with the trip. And then from there is create a plan of attack, right? So what is your plan? Do you have a plan? What's a reasonable amount of weight gain? Assuming when we go on vacation, we're going to eat and potentially drink at a higher caloric load than what we would be doing normally. I think that's probably a fair assumption for most people. Well, how much backsliding are you willing to do? And then what are the advantages of staying on plan? What are the disadvantages of staying on plan? Do you want to walk back into your house and know that you're still dead on with the goals that you've set for yourself for that period of time, for that year, for that phase of training? Or do you want to walk in and feel the regret or possibly shame or guilt, which hopefully you wouldn't have to, but are you open to experiencing those emotions? And if not, well, then you need to structure your plan around walking in and not experiencing those emotions. How would it feel for you to overindulge? Is that what you really want? Or are you just obsessed with the idea of having the freedom to eat whatever it is that you want? And sometimes just acknowledging that you have some level of freedom and flexibility within a, a given structure and framework is enough to have what you want and still stay in line with your goals. So what are the advantages and disadvantages of overindulging? 
right? Oftentimes we're in a situation where you kind of tell yourself, but I want to get my money's worth from the trip, an all-inclusive as an example. Well, does that mean it's worth potentially setting yourself back by weeks, potentially months, by significantly overindulging over a period of three or four or five plus days? Maybe, maybe not. Those are the questions you actually have to uh, acknowledge, check in with yourself and ask yourself about. And, you know, how much progress are you willing, like, like I said, how much progress are you willing to negate over just a few days of debauchery, right? It, it's not uncommon for me to work with clients where they'll go on a, a, a vacation uh, here, here, an example uh, here in Arizona for is, is a good example is, is there's a lot of people during the summer where they go to California uh, for a long weekend. And what we see quite frequently is that over those two or three days, there's more alcohol consumption. And this frequently happens with women specifically just in terms of water retention. But what we see, and this is something that you have to acknowledge is that for a week and or two after these periods, while calories may not end up being too so you know too much significantly higher than where they should be, because of the change in foods, because of the alcohol intake, and because of the associated uh, water retention and thereby weight gain, it can take at least a week and sometimes two weeks for the weight, that water weight to dissipate. Is that a level of frustration, acknowledgement that you are willing to, you know, to afford? For some people, yes. For some people, no. In which case, you have to structure your plan accordingly. And so that's, I just think it's so important to really acknowledge, okay, how do I want to feel when I come back? And then I'm going to build the structure in order to do that. And, you know, it doesn't have to be throwing out all semblance of boundaries, like I said, is sometimes just having a framework and a structure in place. Uh, oftentimes for, for clients, what we do is we just assign a calorie ceiling saying, look, kind of do whatever you want within the confines of 2,500 calories. I don't care what you do. Do whatever the heck you want. Let's just keep an eye on it and not go batshit crazy. And, and is keeping structure on vacation really going to deter you that much from your enjoyment of the trip? The odds are pretty good no. And in fact, it might enhance the quality of your trip because you're not experiencing those underlying and potentially subconscious feelings of, should I be doing this? Is this right? I'm feeling guilty. I shouldn't be eating or drinking this much. And instead, having some structure in place is giving you the confidence and freedom and flexibility that you actually are truly desiring to know that despite the fact that the scale may fluctuate by a couple, three pounds, you're actually still directly in line with where you want to be by virtue of how you've set up your program before and after the trip. Within that is, are there certain foods that you want to have on vacation that you wouldn't normally have? In which case, you may want to consider exposing or quote unquote vaccinating yourself 
to these foods, right? Giving this subtle level of exposure to these foods that you wouldn't normally have that can create some level of inflammation in the system. If you, if you don't eat gluten, if you don't eat dairy, if you have, if you don't eat a lot of sugar, if you, you really abstain from alcohol, but you know, you're going to be consuming these things over a period of time, you might want to slowly titrate those in so that you don't get such a large inflammatory reaction. This is a real real thing, especially for anyone listening that is doing our nutrition coaching program and has subtly been cleaning up their diet, they know what how they experience these foods thereafter. Not that I ask you to abstain from these things. It's just that by virtue of the program itself, people do determine that they feel better without them to the degree that when they do plug them back in, it's easy to spend half the weekend on the toilet because you haven't created that level of exposure. And that's obviously the last thing that any of us want. But I think, as I alluded to, the most valuable thing that we can do when we're planning for vacation is understanding what our expectations are, having a plan in place during the vacation itself. And I'll tell you what I do here in a second and what I suggest clients do, but also having a plan before and after. And so very simply, it can look like, hey, if I'm actually cognizant of my calorie intake, I can strategically reduce my calorie intake for a week or two leading up to the trip to create a larger buffer whereby I could kind of overindulge to some degree during the trip and my net calorie intake over that two, three, four weeks will really not end up being that much higher than it would have been should I have been sticking to the plan. Similarly, is how can I set myself up for success when I do walk back in the door? And my suggestion is to have food waiting for you so that you get right back in the group because we all know what it's like to roll up on Sunday afternoon after a week of, of overindulgence and we're scrambling to get the kids stuff ready for school the next day. We've got our work responsibilities. You know, the thought of simply prepping for the week is isn't even a, isn't even a thought. It's just not going to happen, right? So we know that okay, well that can easily turn into another week or two of flailing to get back in the groove. So my suggestion would be planning ahead, having some foods prepped where whether it's like uh, frozen meat that you can pull out that's already been cooked and just defrost it, casseroles, um, dishes like that, what possibly meal delivery, things like that, that you can just roll right back into the groove with little concerted effort uh, and know that you're right back on track. Uh, as for a, an individual example, what I, and this will roll directly into our discussion on intermittent fasting. Um, what my suggestion is, is figuring out a way or having some structure. And like I uh, said, is whether it's just a calorie ceiling saying, look, I'm just going to kind of keep my eye on my intake. And, and for anyone that's been tracking for any period of time, which most of my clients have, they have a pretty decent idea of you know what 2000 or 2500 calories will look like, in which case they can kind of keep their eye on that. If it's realistic for them to track, great. That's but for most people, it's like, no, nah, just you have the freedom to do what you want. Let's just figure out some strategic ways to control your calories. For some people, that ends up being uh, intermittent fasting, which is simply shortening your eating windows or prolonging your fasting windows to a set period of time. 
the main benefit. And so what that would look like in a vacation scenario, oftentimes what I'll do is I'll just skip breakfast. My first meal will be lunch and I'll kind of have two solid meals, so lunch and dinner. And if I'm having drinks that way, I've kind of omitted a meal that might be five or six or 700 calories because I know I'm going to make it up later in the day by virtue of the foods that I'm eating and the alcohol that I'm drinking. That's kind of the way that I would look at it, which does work well for some people. Now, in the context of intermittent fasting, um, again, just to explain what it is, an example is fasting for six hours and eating in a period of eight hours. So what that would look like is you stop eating at um, 8 p.m. at night and you fast all the way to noon the next day. That ends up being 16 hours of fasting and you've compressed your eating window between noon and 8 p.m. The main benefit is just controlling your calories. Autophagy and 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 longevity and um, you know all of these claims aside, and and brain function and cognitive function and all of these claims aside, the main benefit of intermittent fasting is that it helps you manage your calorie intake. You can imagine if you only eat between noon and eight for a lot of people, that completely uh, eliminates one and or two meals for that given day, it's not uncommon for people to eat from the time they wake up to the time they go to the bed. So you can imagine if you have some hard and fast rules around your eating window, right? For example, I'm not going to eat until noon or 1 p.m. on a given day. Well, then you've, you've just cut out a significant portion of calories, especially considering the majority of, you know, what people eat in the morning ends up being kind of processed cereals and juice and, um, Starbucks drinks and shit like that, well, that could be a lot of calories. So what people experience with intermittent fasting, with shortening their eating windows, is that they start to lose weight because they end up eating less calories. There's no magic to it. And you can structure this, this fasting or eating window any way you want. And there's intermittent fasting, there's time-restricted feeding, which is essentially the same thing, but you know, it could look like um, stopping your eating at 4 or 5 p.m. and then not eating again until the morning. And then if you're a breakfast person, then you eat breakfast, but you just cut your eating window off earlier. It is all dependent on the person. Now, here's my experience and my opinion of how this works or doesn't work for women. I think that in general, it's highly individualized. So if you were the type of person that naturally would just wake up, kind of not even think about breakfast, you get through the first part of your morning before you start to get hungry. And, and this is, is actually something that's really, you've, you've been experiencing for your entire life, um, then that's one thing. But if you are actually a kind of quote unquote breakfast person, you enjoy breakfast, you feel like it gives you good energy for the day, it helps you make better decisions later in the day, um, then that's a different story. So you kind of have to figure out what works best for you. If you are in a position where you need to manage your calories, my suggestion would be doing some combination of possibly moving meal one a little bit later and the last meal of the day a little bit earlier. However, specifically as it pertains to women, my main concern with intermittent fasting is from a hormonal standpoint and a blood sugar regulation standpoint, of when we wake up in the morning, 
we start to produce because of our circadian rhythms, right? The cycle of the sun, when the sun starts to come up, that's when we typically wake up. And that's when our body starts to produce stress hormone called cortisol, called adrenaline, called epinephrine, uh, these cascades of hormones that help give us energy for the day. Now, that's a good thing. That's what we want are these stress hormones help give us energy and function like normal human beings. But the problem with that is for anyone that has some poor blood sugar dysregulation, um, excessive amounts of body fat, uh, that when you don't eat the, the combination of the cortisol response, in addition to what ends up creating a low blood sugar response can be very harmful long-term on thyroid health, adrenal function, um, energy, mood, libido, all of these types of things to the degree that I don't really recommend intermittent fasting for most women specifically um, because of these very issues. Because if they aren't already very dialed in with their nutrition, then blood sugar probably is an issue to some degree. And if blood sugar is an issue to some degree, then skipping those morning meals or at least skipping your first morning meal, especially when cortisol tends to, to rise up. And cortisol is what we call a glucocorticosteroid. Cortisol has the ability to convert into blood sugar. And it's a good thing for our fight or flight response when we're stressed out and when we're exercising and when we're kind of running from the proverbial tiger. Uh, it's what helps us provide energy to the muscles and the liver and the organs and the brain. But, but we don't want that happening on a daily basis. So what a lot of people do when they're intermittent fasting is they skip breakfast. They only drink coffee. Coffee's a stressor because it has caffeine, caffeine drives more cortisol production. And so the combination there of the natural cortisol plus the artificial cortisol, uh, plus the body's then response to bring down blood sugar through insulin uh, can really create this hormonal cascade that ends up doing more harm than good, especially in females. And so that's my kind of main concern. My suggestion for females, if they are looking to lose weight uh, and they have poor blood sugar regulation and they have some body fat to lose and they're not consistent with their meals as it is, is simply getting consistent with meals, getting more protein in throughout the day, making sure they're managing their calories effectively, whereby for most people, the intermittent fasting just isn't necessary. It's just not necessary at the end of the day. And then if there are times then throughout the year, vacation as an example, or I'll give, you know, today is a good example for me. Like today we are leaving on vacation. Ironically enough, we're leaving on vacation tomorrow. We're taking the kids skiing up in Big Bear. But this week is an absolute nuts just trying to get through client check-ins and writing programs and, and, and getting content produced for you guys and I have not yet eaten today, but there's days like this, which work very well for me to not even think about food, just go nose deep into work. And I'll worry about eating after the fact. And I would say for me, this works well one or two days a week. But again, I'm not a female with weight to lose that already has poor blood sugar regulation. So it needs to be very specific 
Uh, but what I do recommend is, is there certain situations where if it is during travel, if it, it, you know, a, a vacation destination, a trip where, you know, you're going to be on a plane all day long. And then when you get where you're going, you're going to have a feast, so to speak, it might make sense to keep your nutrition and calorie intake very minimal throughout the course of the day. But I think it's something that you need to work up to, to start to practice and start to determine how your body responds to those things. So there's nothing magical about intermittent fasting. Um, we are the, the research as far as I know, and I've interviewed multiple people on the podcast. So go ahead and scroll through the archives of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple podcast here. And um, just as of, you know, uh, several episodes, I had a, a major researcher from University of Chicago on talking about intermittent fasting and alternate day fasting. And the reality is like, it's just a useful calorie management tool. Nothing fancy, despite all of the marketing hype out there. So I think that if you're someone that needs some hard and fast rules around your nutrition, then I think it works great to say, hey, let's just shorten your eating window from 11 to 7. I don't care what you eat between those times. Just don't eat anything after and before and see how it works for you. It can be work very well. However, for some people, they start to play around with it. They realize that their absolutely blood sugar is crashing by 11 or 12 to the degree that the rest of the day becomes a melee where they eat everything in sight and they can't control their hunger and their cravings, which ends up causing them to eat significantly more calories by the end of the day, which for someone like that, that's not a good thing. So you just have to kind of acknowledge where you are. You need to just, this is the same thing I obviously recommend for every single quote unquote dieting methodology. It's what I talked about last week with keto, like go start playing around with it and see how it works for you. See how you feel. Be honest with yourself. Just because Nancy down the street did well with intermittent fasting and, and lost 30 pounds doesn't mean it's going to work well for you. Just give it a shot. See how you feel. Track your progress. Um, be accountable. Make adult decisions, you know, and, and acknowledge whether you're making progress or not. That's the best we can do with all of this stuff. So I hope that's helpful for you. I'm going to wrap it up here. We're quickly approaching 30 minutes. Uh, I appreciate you guys taking the tune in, uh, the time to tune in for another episode. Uh, and I will catch you guys in the next one. Much love. Did you love this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show? Then head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a positive rating and review. And more importantly, share this with other men that you know are dedicated to leveling up in every area of their life by learning how to live healthier, more energetic, and productive lives so that they can optimize their health for their family and future. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about how you can work directly with Ben, then just head on over to www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up.